What do you think of when I say Jesus Christ? What words would you use to describe Christ this morning? I'll even have you narrow your focus a little bit. Narrow it down to three words in your mind. What three words would you use? Perhaps you want to jot them down in your bulletin. Perhaps you just want to remember them in your head this morning. Peter told us we should always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in us. We should be able to describe who Jesus Christ is. We should be able to talk about Him. Well, what did you come up with? What are, what are your three words? Whether you're a believer in Christ or not, you probably could come up with at least three words. Maybe comforter. Maybe friend. Maybe savior. Perhaps if you're more of a word picture kind of person and you like illustrations, you'd come up with shepherd. He is the light. He's the lamb. We just sang about that. Well, these are really fine words to describe Christ, and they are words that you could find in the Bible to describe Him, and they do all point to one aspect or dimension of Jesus and His work. Yet I propose to you this morning that there are three robust, rich, theologically historical biblically accurate words with deep roots in the Old Testament that paint a comprehensive picture of Jesus Christ and His work. Those three words are prophet, priest, and king. In earlier times, Christians were well acquainted with the titles of prophet, priest, and king. We don't talk about them quite so much anymore. But Earlier Christians knew the direct link to the ministry of Christ. Martin Luther, in his small catechism, catechism is a teaching tool. It's what he used to teach new Christians about Jesus Christ, says that Christ was appointed to be our prophet, priest, and king. John Calvin said that among heretics and false Christians, Christ is found in name only. But by those who are truly called of God, he is acknowledged as a prophet, king, and priest. These men knew that trust must be placed in Jesus Christ as described in the scriptures. They knew that you couldn't make him up in your own head or make Jesus to be whatever you want him to be, but rather the Christ that is revealed to us by God in the Scriptures themselves was the Christ that brings salvation, the Christ that brings life to us. These offices of prophet, priest, and king are prominent in the Old Testament. They are almost always filled by one person only, although rarely and on several occasions by two, but never one person fulfills all three. And that one person was a mediator between God and man. This mediator word is very, very important. What is a mediator? Well, a mediator is an intermediary. He is a go-between. We have mediators in our world. Lots of times you'll hear about mediators getting involved in labor disputes, perhaps. The, The National Football League just had a labor dispute. 
and there was a mediator involved. Two opposing parties who needed to be reconciled and they had a mediator to help them do that. Well, so too, we need a mediator. We need a go-between. Let's talk about a mediator in terms of a prophet. I gave you these three words, prophet, priest, and king, and I've told you they are all mediated by someone in the Old Testament. Um, A prophet. What does a prophet do? A prophet takes the words of God, the message from God, the, the revelation from God, and he brings it down to the people. He takes the message from God and brings it down to the people. What does a priest do? A priest makes sacrifices for the sins of the people in the Old Testament, and he offers them to God. The prophet brings the word of God down to the people. A priest takes the sacrifices for sins and brings them up to God. A prophet, priest, and king. What does a king do? Well, who is the ultimate king? The ultimate king, of course, is God. He is the sovereign. But yet, in the Old Testament in particular, he mediated his rule through the kings of Israel. Through Saul, through David, the most popular, the most highly thought of king of Israel, and through Solomon. And there were many other kings as well in the Old Testament. But prophet and priest are the most dominant. And these offices, these three offices of prophet, priest, and king, and their function as mediators between God and man are all brought together in Jesus Christ. He brings these three offices of prophet, priest, and king together in one man who is also God. 1 Timothy 2.5, very, very important passage of Scripture, says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Very important that you have fixed in your mind that Jesus Christ is the mediator. Jesus Christ as prophet will bring the knowledge of God, the revelation from God, the words of God to the people in the greatest way possible. Jesus Christ as the high priest will offer a sacrifice for sins and offer it to God to restore the broken relationship between God and man that has been destroyed by our sin, by our sinfulness. And ultimately, Jesus Christ will rule and reign over His people and mediate the rule of God through Him. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, key verse this morning. Well, this morning, I'm not going to have time to focus on all three aspects of the work of Christ as mediator. Um, Just as by way of making it clear These are not three different works of Christ. We cannot divide Christ's work into three different things, but rather they all work simultaneously. They are inextricably linked and intertwined together. 
as a way for us to talk about the different aspects of the mediator who is Jesus Christ. Together they constitute the wonderful work of salvation which was wrought for us by Christ, our Redeemer. So this morning I'm going to focus on the aspect of Christ as our prophet. And I've outlined it under the heading of three facts that require we worship Christ as our prophet. Three facts that require we worship Christ as our prophet. The first fact that requires we worship Christ as our prophet is the Old Testament office of prophet is fulfilled in Christ. The second fact that requires we worship Christ as our prophet is his teaching and examples. And the third fact that requires we worship Christ as our prophet is his role as the mediator of truth, as mediator as the, of the truth from God the Father. Well, fact number one, the Old Testament office of prophet is fulfilled in Christ. I mentioned what a prophet is. He takes the message from God and brings it to the people. He is a messenger. He speaks in God's name. He is called by God. A prophet is appointed by God to communicate divine revelation to others. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. If you're not familiar with the Bible, turn to Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of your Bible. So start clear back at the front and work your way forward. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses is speaking to a people here. They have been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. As a result of their sin and rebellion against God, the people of Israel have been judged by being sentenced to wander the wilderness for 40 years. They are a people who need hope. And now they are about to enter the promised land And Moses is going to deliver to them this message of hope in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. What does Moses mean? What does God mean when he says to Moses, a prophet like me. Well, first of all, Moses is a man, right? He is an individual. God is going to raise up another individual, another man who will be like Moses. He's going to also be a Jew. He is going to come from among your brothers, God tells Moses. He will be a Jew. And he will be a mediator like Moses is a mediator. That's what he's talking about in verse 16. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, 
Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see the great fire any more, lest I die. What he's referring to there is when God is speaking to the people at Mount Horeb, the people hear the voice of God and they tremble and shake in fear. They are afraid of God. The power of His voice, the power of His presence is so great that they plead with Moses to mediate for them. To hear what God says and to bring the message to them rather than them being face to face with God Himself. They plead for a mediator. And what does the Lord say? Verse 17, And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. They are right in asking for a mediator. You need a mediator is what God says. Well, guess what? Jesus is a man. Jesus is a Jew. And Jesus is the one mediator between God and men. He is like Moses in that way. How else is Jesus like Moses? Well, upon the death of Moses in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10 The scripture says this, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. You see, Moses did miracles before Pharaoh, didn't he? He did miracles before Pharaoh and the people. Who else did miracles before the religious leaders and the people? Jesus did, right? Jesus did. Moses. It was Moses who instructed the Jews to sacrifice the Passover lamb and to wipe the blood of the lamb over the door, thus delivering the Jews from the angel of death on the night of Passover. Delivered them from death. Well, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover sacrifices. As He delivers the people by His substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, as He shed His blood for the sins of His people on the cross. Moses led the people in the Exodus from Egypt to freedom from slavery in the land and from the oppression and bondage of the Egyptians. Jesus is the one, through His righteous life, death, burial, burial, and resurrection, that sets us free from our slavery to sin. Jesus is the one. You see, Moses was different, as God explained to Moses' brother and sister, to Miriam and to Aaron, after they claimed they could speak for God just like Moses. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 4, follow along with me as I read. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. The scene here is important. 
Aaron and Miriam are challenging Moses. They are saying, God, we can speak for you just like Moses. After all, he's our brother. He's no big deal, right? We think pretty lowly sometimes of our siblings. We certainly don't think our brothers and sisters are better than we are. And here Moses is getting all the glory. Aaron and Miriam are saying, us too, us too. So God's having a little committee meeting here, right? He lines them up. Aaron, Miriam, and Moses. And he says, step forward, Aaron and Miriam. I have a message for you. Verse 6. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house when I speak, with whom I speak mouth to mouth. Face to face, mouth to mouth. There is an intimacy here between God and Moses. This doesn't exclude the fact that God revealed himself to other prophets in the Old Testament. He did. But there is something special about Moses. Something special about Moses. And one like Moses will come after him. Peter makes that same point in our scripture reading this morning from Acts chapter 3, doesn't he? Acts chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. There's our passage from Deuteronomy. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. You see, Jesus Christ is a dividing line. If you will listen to Jesus Christ, if you will listen to the prophet of God, you will be saved. But if you will not listen to him, you will be judged. You will be destroyed. Two more points before we move on. First, the true prophets of Israel foreshadowed the great coming of the future prophet proclaimed by Moses. For thousands of years, the prophets had been telling of this one who would come. Moses is talking about the prophet who would come. God says, a prophet like you, Moses, is coming. Second point before we move on. Christ was already functioning through the true prophets of Israel in the days of the Old Testament. The pre-incarnate Christ was already functioning through the prophets in the Old Testament. 
Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you're in Deuteronomy, you're going to go almost all the way to the back of your Bible to 1 Peter and chapter 1. I'm going to talk about a lot of Scripture passages this morning. You don't need to turn to all of them. Matter of fact, you probably couldn't keep up. But there's a few I'd like you to go to and I'd like you to look and see. 1 Peter chapter 1 is one of those this morning. In this passage, we find out that Christ is already communicating the knowledge of God to his people through the prophets. 1 Peter 1 and verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Notice they prophesied about the grace, about the salvation, about the gospel that was to come. The prophets talked about this. Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Did you catch that? The Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Christ was indicating, revealing to them the sufferings and glories that he would suffer. His humiliation and his exaltation. The sufferings, his humiliation, his incarnation, his coming to earth as a man. His suffering, his death, his burial in the grave. The glories to come, the glories of Christ, his exaltation, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven. The fact that He is now, right now, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven in the position of power, making intercession for us as believers. And finally, His glory includes His return because He is coming again. Praise God, He is coming again to bring all things to completion. You see, the Old Testament office of prophet is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Point number two, the second fact that requires we worship Christ as our prophet are his teachings and examples. In John 13, verse 12, the scripture says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? Well, what had he just done? He had just washed their feet. Well, why would he wash his why, why would he wash their feet? You, know, you washed anybody's feet lately? I haven't. I haven't. Well, that's because we wear shoes. And by and large, we walk on concrete and pavement and sidewalks and in our house. In Jesus' day, they walked on dusty roads, on dirt. And when they went from place to place, you walked into somebody's house, it was customary for the lowliest servant in the house to come and wash your feet so you didn't track all this dirt into their home. It was the lowliest, most menial job there was. And here was Jesus washing the disciples' feet. 
And he says to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Jesus is saying to them that I am your Lord and your teacher. As their prophet, he was their teacher. He proclaimed the truth of God to them. And he is saying to them, you must serve one another. You must love one another so much that you will do the most menial of tasks. You will wash one another's feet. This has great implications for us, doesn't it? If he is our Lord and our prophet, if he is our Lord and our teacher, and he tells us to do something, we better do it. We better do it. He's giving us an example here. The revelation as prophet that Jesus brings continues to be poured out in his teaching as well as in the interpretation of his life as given through the apostles after his ascension through the work of his spirit. Jesus tells us this in John 16, verse 13, just a few pages over. This is on the night before he was crucified, by the way. So these are like the last words of Jesus on earth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Did you get that? The Spirit will glorify Christ, and he will do it by taking what is Christ and declaring it to his apostles, to his disciples. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he, referring to the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit guides the disciples into the truth about Christ, which we have recorded as the Word of God, as the Word of Christ in our New Testament. And he tells us how we should live in light of what he has done for us on the cross. The way Christ is glorified is when the Spirit takes what is Christ and declares it to them. The Spirit takes the wisdom of Christ, the work of Christ, and proclaims it to the apostles. And they, through the work of the Holy Spirit, have recorded in the New Testament we all read and meditate on today in God's Word. The Word of Christ is here for us. It is here for us. Some other examples. Philippians 3. Let me change that. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You see, I cannot be this humble in and of myself and in my own strength and my own power. What do I need? I need the mind of Christ Jesus. And I am unified in Christ through the work of the Spirit. I am in union with Christ. I have the Spirit of Christ living and dwelling within me. It is only in that power that I can demonstrate this kind of humility. What did Christ say about his own role as prophet? Well, he called himself a prophet. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus says, I must go on my way today and tomorrow in the following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. He's speaking of himself here. He's speaking of himself. He calls himself a prophet. Whose words does Jesus claim to speak? John chapter 8, verse 26. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. It's referring to the Father. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, that's another way of saying, when you have crucified me, when you have crucified Christ because they lifted up the cross and then dropped it into the hole in the ground. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father has taught me. John chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. John 14. Again, on the night before He was crucified. Verse 24. Whoever does not love Me does not keep My words. And the word that you hear is not Mine, but the Father who sent Me. John 15, the next chapter, verse 15. Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. We are friends of Christ because He has revealed the Father to us. He has made the Father known to us. Note also that Jesus taught them as one who had authority. The Old Testament prophets said over and over and over again, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Over and over the Old Testament prophets say that. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, he quotes the Old Testament. And then he says, I say unto you. I say unto you. He doesn't say, thus saith the Lord. 
He says, I say unto you. Because he is fulfilling the Old Testament. Matthew 7, verse 28, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The people recognized Christ was teaching them as one with a message from God, not just as one of their teachers. Matthew 21, verse 11, and the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Upon seeing Jesus raise a widow's son from the dead, Luke 7, 16 says, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Upon feeding the 5,000, John 6 records, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. They recognized he was the one, the prophet, the Messiah that Moses had spoken of 1,400 years before. 14 centuries earlier. God had declared it to them. Christ's teaching and his earthly ministry require we worship him as our prophet. Point number three, the third fact that requires we worship Christ as our prophet is his role as mediator of truth. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John in the first chapter. In John chapter 1, John starts out making a Parallel between the Word and Christ. Christ is the living Word. We have here the written Word, but Christ is the living Word in that He reveals God to us. In John chapter 1, verse 1, very familiar passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh. The divine Word, the Son of God, became flesh, became a man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Down to verse 16. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We bring sin. We bring fallenness. We bring evil to Him. And He returns to us with love, with grace, with mercy, with grace upon grace. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, 
Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus Christ, has made Him known. He is our prophet. You see, the reality of the situation is is that the messenger is the message. The messenger is the message. The prophet, our prophet, Jesus Christ, is the good news. It's an amazing thing what God has done. The ultimate messenger of God, the ultimate prophet, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brings a message of salvation in the gospel to His people. The messenger is the message. But there is a danger here. What are the dangers of overemphasizing Christ as prophet? It is that if we see him only as prophet, as proclaimer of truth from God, and we don't see him as priest and king as well. You see, as I said earlier, they go together. They're a part of a whole. What are some examples from our modern-day world of people who see Christ as prophet but don't see him as their high priest or as their king? One example, millions and millions of people around the world hold to this, is Islam. They hold Christ as a prophet. They do not hold him as king or as high priest. They are lost in their sin. In thousands of churches around this country this morning, there are pastors who stand in pulpits and believe that Christ is a great example and that he is a teacher, but they don't believe that Christ died on a cross and paid the penalty for their sin as their substitute, and thus my sins are forgiven because Christ died on my behalf and for me in payment of my sins. Instead, they teach a false gospel that if you just follow Jesus, if you just do what He taught, if you follow His example, you will be saved. Friends, that is moralism. That is as I'm going to get to heaven by my good works and the good things I do. That is not biblical Christianity. That is not the gospel that Christ died for our sins so that we might have eternal life. You see, there is no mediator in either of those options. You have religion without a mediator. Beware of a religion without a mediator. Beware of a belief system that says you can do it on your own. You can approach a holy, holy, holy God, as we sang this morning, on your own merits. You cannot. You can only go in the perfect righteousness of Christ with Him having paid the penalty for your sin and given you His righteousness so that you might approach a holy God. You must have an alien righteousness, the righteousness of your mediator. There can be no salvation without a covering for sin 
based on the shed blood of Christ as our substitute, as our mediator. Well, what's another key truth for us here? I was watching the TV news the other day, as I want to do. I read the paper and I watch the news. And uh, there was some big lottery drawing. And maybe you bought a ticket. I don't know. And the reporter was standing in the very room where they drew the lottery balls, right? And he had a lottery ball in his hand. And he said, now this is just an old lottery ball. They won't let me touch the current lottery balls because they put so many things in place to protect the integrity of this lottery process that there is a 0% chance of fraud in this lottery. Really? A 0% chance of fraud? There's no chance? Well, the Titanic was unsinkable, right? Yeah. I think they grossly underestimated the sinfulness of the human mind as well as our ingenuity and creativity in stealing from other people. There's a 0% chance. Really. I got to thinking about that. Is there really a 0% chance of anything? Yes, there is. There is a 0% chance that Christ, our prophet, will not be right. That he will not deliver on his promises. There is a 0% chance that he will not redeem his people. Well, how do we know? Well, it just so happens that this morning we went through centuries and centuries of biblical revelation that foretold what was going to happen when Christ, our prophet, became a man, lived a perfectly righteous life, died on the cross, a sinner's death in our place, was buried and rose again. His resurrection is our guarantee of salvation. As Hebrews 11.1 tells us, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. This is not a hope like, well, I hope the sun shines today or I hope it rains or... I hope it's cool. No, this is a sure hope. This is a certain hope. This is a guaranteed hope that you can bank on. We have Christians has a 100% guaranteed hope in Christ. For our prophet was predicted by God through his servant Moses. Christ is the promised prophet who as mediator brings the revelation of God to us. He brought the message and promises of God to those in the Old Testament through the Spirit in the voice of His prophets. He brought the message and promises of God to His apostles in the message and example, the teaching and example of His life, the life of Christ in the Gospels. He brought the message and promises of God to us through His Spirit's work in the writing of the apostles as they interpreted His life in the epistles and writings of the New Testament. He continues to bring in our hearts the illumination of His Word through the work of His Spirit so that we might understand what He's telling us. Jesus Christ is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life who mediates the truth to us so we might come to understand that through the work of His Spirit, 
that we might understand the narrow way that leads to life in Christ through his righteous life, his sufferings, his death, and ultimately through the exaltation of Christ in his resurrection and return in glory as he mediates on our behalf as our prophet, priest, and king. Let's pray. Father, is an amazing thing what you have done, how you have provided a mediator, how you have provided the one mediator in Jesus Christ. Is it an awesome thing to us, Father? Our minds can barely comprehend, can barely wrap around the fact that this was your plan, your predetermined plan before the foundation of the earth, that you would rescue your people, that you love us so much that you redeem us, that you bring salvation to us, that you give us eternal life, that you give us living water through your Son, Jesus Christ, our prophet, priest, and king. Father, we are humbled. I pray we would submit ourselves to you even today. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be working in the hearts of those who are here that we would be changed, that we would be transformed by the Word of Christ, that it would not just go in one ear and out the other, but rather you would do a work that only you can do to draw us to you and to sustain us in Christ. In his name I pray, amen.